0: Hi there and welcome to another episode of SharkBites and also SharkBites.net, where we look at technology leadership in government and public service. I'm Alan Shark, Vice President, Public Sector and Executive Director of CompTIA's Public Technology Institute, better known as PTI. We present new episodes posted every other week, so please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, or so you won't miss a topic of interest. And remember, we have over 60 episodes that you are free to explore wherever you get your podcasts. So in this episode, we will have a conversation with Joe Morrisroe, Deputy Commissioner and Executive Director of New York City's 311 system that is celebrating its 20th year in operation. Welcome, Joe. Welcome, Alan. It's good to see you again and good to talk with you. Same here. Joe and I go back many, many years. Uh, in fact, I remember taking students over to the uh, 911, se- the 311 Center, excuse me, uh, and to check it out. And we were just blown away by the uh, level of activity and everything else that was going on. So the mayor uh, was very proud uh, in helping to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the launch of New York City's 311 service. And you've been there for Almost 17 years, is that right? That is correct. Yes. So it's been quite a ride. You've seen a lot of changes. There are a lot of statistics that I could cite, but I don't want to take away your thunder. Um, What excites you the most? But let me stop. As we start all our podcasts, what got you interested in technology? Here you're uh, working in the the largest 311 center probably in the world, Um, definitely in the United States and you are part of the, you know, Office of Technology Innovation. So obviously you've expressed an interest in technology. Where did that begin when you were young? Uh, thanks, Alan. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, and it's good to to think about that and kind of go back to when it really took hold. Um, I did start uh, my professional career, uh, the fortune of working for a large company, uh, at and I got out of college and I was took a job to be a a call center rep and I said, that'll be great. I'll do it for six months and get it on my resume and then I'll move on to a real job. And, and of course, you know, I stayed at AT AT&T for 17 years. (laughs) That's usually the way those things work, but it was really during that period. I think I, I realized I was not a technologist. I had not focused on that in school or or really had any aptitude in that respect. Uh, But as I moved from, you know, one or two different jobs within AT&T became more and more apparent to me that I, whatever I wanted to do, whether I was in operations, I was in marketing, I did some auditing for a time, I was always dependent on systems, as we used to call it back then, right uh, for outputs, right there was a, there was an incredible dependency if you wanted to do something, you were dependent on that underlying both direct and indirect. And that dawned on me as I, as I said as I moved through my career at at and to the point that I said I need to get more focused on and more interested in in the underlying support mechanisms here, the underlying pieces, which is technology. So that is really what kind of drove my interest and and led me more and more to function in technology uh, spaces, if you will. So I may have been in consumer marketing, I may have been in operations, but it was always with understanding the technology. And then how do we start to use that and adapt that in order to meet our goals? Uh, I've been fortunate through most of my career that my goals have been focused on serving customers. And uh, it's a great fit, a great you know merge where that's one of the things over the last you know, certainly over the last 10, 15 years, technology has you know exploded with respect to serving customers. So I, I would point back to that as a as a a move towards uh, being interested in and then getting my arms around and then you know totally living in the technology space.
0: So here we have relatively new concept being launched in March two thousand and three. And so much has happened. I remember a bunch of CIOs from the major cities came to New York to check it out. And they walked away with wonderment and skepticism because at the very early stages, it did a very good job of taking calls, non-emergency type calls. But at the same time, some people being CIOs were curious and they looked behind the curtain. They realized that data was not being collected per se And that it was great, the emphasis being on call-taking, so that somebody had something other than what used to be the yellow or white pages to turn to. But the data wasn't being collected. It wasn't actionable. And since then, we're now 525 million calls later. It is a very sophisticated operation. How has it grown over the years? Can you give us a quick journey? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, You you captured the beginning quite well and and hats off to the team that um, delivered this back in 2003. Uh, As as you may know, you know, Mayor Bloomberg had just been elected and he put the charge out there to get it up and running in a year. And the team that did that uh, literally had that charge. Um, So there may have been some focus on, you know, making making the date. Right. So so you're going to go live as a call center. the good news is that the data piece was never far from that, and quickly followed. Uh, the, the mayor has been quoted, the mayor Bloomberg, in the past, has been quoted many times to saying, "You know, 311 is the mother of all management tools," and, and it has certainly proven to be the case for New York City, but for a lot of other cities. Um, we, you know, from a timeline perspective, other cities launched their 311 after New York City did, and you know, we we had occasion to to meet with or talk with. And everyone came away with the same piece, right? It's you're serving the public, you're serving your customers, but you also have a management tool now. So, you know, talk a little bit about the evolution. It absolutely was a call call center, and you could reach it by making a phone call, and that was that was it. This was 2003. Um, you can imagine that was the way uh, you thought about serving government. But one of the underpinnings for 311 for New York City 311 over the years has always been meeting our customers where they are. And we quickly wanted to expand that, right? Not all customers want to make a phone call back then. So we were looking at how do we evolve and it comes back to technology, right? You, you need to be able to have tools that you can use to provide the service, but also have to be useful to the public. Um, so very, you know, over the course of the next years, we moved from a contact center, I'm oh, sorry, a call center to deploying a website uh, took us a little while to get that up and running. Uh, we, we probably should have gone the test and learn mode by getting it up and then building from it instead of trying to build something perfect in the get-go. But uh, over time, we did have that. Now it's a very robust uh, website. We call it 311 Online. Um, and it, it, in turn, then allowed us to do some other things. For example, we introduced a chat program, and then we introduced a text program, both of which, from a user perspective, rely on the underlying website. Uh, Probably the biggest step forward, though, was the mobile app, So again, 2003, a little bit premature, but by 2009, we had a basic mobile app, and we've enhanced that a few times over the years. And now we have 3 million users a year using the mobile app. And interestingly, about half are using it for information, to gain, to to access information, and the other half to make reports. So it's not a, you know, it's not a complaint vehicle. It's an information tool, really. and it hasn't stopped we've continued as we move forward we've um you know we've expanded into the social media space of course uh we started by pushing information out there but our customers wanted to talk with us and that was a little daunting uh to to be on twitter and exchanging and seeing those answers not just conveying those answers uh, but we were able to kind of figure that mode out so now we do questions and answers with customers on, on twitter on instagram etc Um, and we're looking forward, right? Um, you know, there's, there are other things that are out there that are going to continue this evolution all with an underpinning of technology and all with our view of how do we make this serve our customers better?
0: And so your systems are open 24 seven. Um, and you claim to be able to speak 180 languages. That is pretty remarkable unto itself. I can
1: confirm we are open 24 seven and, uh, we do have uh, the ability to provide language access in, in that multiple languages. We use a uh, we use a third-party vendor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go ahead and say it's language line. We've been working with them since uh, early in the in the three-on-one story, um, and it works out very well. Um, you know, the, the sheer number of languages is, is outstanding here in the call center. We have agents who will speak English and Spanish, mm-hmm. uh, but our other languages we rely on the third-party translation. Um, and it's it's a, I often describe it as, you know, it's a longer call, as you would imagine. Sure. Um, but for the customer in need, I consider it a lifeline, right? Where Where you need a piece of information and maybe you can do a translation online or maybe someone can share it for you. But you want to have a conversation with someone and to be able to call, share your language. And then, you know, within less than 30 seconds, we have an interpreter on the line that speaks that language. And you can have that dialogue um it's incredible you can hear it even if you don't know the language when you're listening to that call you can hear the value that that provides so so yeah we we were able to scale up thanks to a partnership and uh and something that uh, as i said serves a portion of our customers very well
0: yeah i mean i can almost see that saving lives i mean if somebody's not sure who to call and where to call and they have an issue of language the very fact that you can switch over very quickly and address that You know you can really save an awful lot of heartache if not a lot if not a life yep you're right on there um over the years
1: again a lot of you can hear in the stories for an individual or even on a program the you know our volume of of of, we'll call it non-english language calls back in 2015 skyrocketed because the city introduced a new program uh that uh, was to give a municipal card to folks as an alternative to a driver's license um and and there were a number of different uh uh, groups or communities that were interested in it and a lot of them did not speak english as their language and, and needed the ability to communicate because it was a little bit you know it wasn't just a standard you know press a button online um so walking people through that process by using language translation touched right on what you said. It really gave them the access to something that in turn uh, helped improve their
0: lives. So how many people do you have working for the 311 center that you had right now?
1: Uh, so we have just under 400 people wow. and 300 plus of those are our frontline. They are the agents that are on the phone that speak to customers and then uh, the traditional call center support model uh, around that. So we'll have uh, an escalation line, supervisors, managers. Uh, again, we'll have the traditional content uh, support mechanisms such as quality assurance, training, uh, et cetera. We also have a couple of teams that focus on, I'll call it the content, right? The, the information that's in the system. Uh, one group is sort of the, the partner facing, they, they're our agency analysts who deal with every city agency. Matter of fact, every city, state, and federal agency we support uh, to know what's happening, right? To, to get information on what their programs, policies, and procedures are, or to ask them questions when we have unmet needs. And they'll be they'll, they'll gather that information. And then we have a content management team that are a group of, uh, of marvelous writers, technicians, editors, et cetera. And they'll take that information, which is, as you may guess, starts out being very you know, governments and, and bureaucratic and jargon. And they'll convert that using plain language standards into something that reads very well, is very understandable. So so that whole universe uh, kind of makes up our size. But I'll, I'll take a moment and just say a, a line that we use here a lot is that uh, when you ask how many people, um, we like to say there's there's that many people, but there's two jobs. One job is the person who's speaking to the customer. And the other job is everybody else supporting that person.
0: Interesting. So looking at the clock and the calendar, March 2020 comes along, and suddenly we have something called a pandemic, where many operations shut down across the country. How did the pandemic affect you and the 301 call center? Uh,
1: it had a direct and immediate and ongoing impact, as you would expect. Yeah. And I'll go backwards just a moment uh, to give a little bit of context because it is the 20th anniversary and we've taken a look at you know the, the, the we'll call it the volume right the, the number of people reaching out to 311 over the years. Uh, uh, one thing that stands out is through milestone events, you know things have changed. in the very early days there was an MTA transit strike in New York City and that was like really kind of put 311 on the map. Um, uh, then of course in 2008 less less of an immediate impact but the the economic crisis occurred you know later became known as the Great Recession. Yeah. We look back now, and we knew it at the time, but you see it more profoundly. Um, our call volume changed; both the volume went up, and the interest, that the the need, the question changed as well. Uh, in New York City, then you know, move ahead to 2011, 2012. We had back-to-back Hurricane Irene, Superstorm Sandy, Superstorm Sandy, uh, which were major events for us in terms of being able to respond. But each time one of those things occurred, more and more customers became aware of 311, and frankly, how easy it was to access and to use. And we like to think how beneficial. Um, so that helped us kind of grow over the over the years. Uh, as you said, flash forward to March of 2020, and the same phenomena occurred. Right? We were already serving, you know, close to 35, 36 million customer contacts a year. 2020, 2021, that exceeded that. That jumped over 40 million. Uh, because there was such a demand so we were faced with a number of challenges like like everyone uh a lot of it just being the unknown yeah. but so we uh we were uh, send, we had essential workers the call center were essential workers they were on site uh, we had to juggle a lot of things from the from the social distance separation re- requirements to just getting people back and forth to work and, and dealing with people going through the early stages of the pandemic it was a tough time in new york city and that affected us in the call center as well but uh, we were able to leverage what we had. We were able to quickly add some uh, some surge capacity, if you will, uh, to to help with the call taking. We, it forced us to rethink our business in terms of both how to simplify and also how to kind of you know target a little bit better what a customer needed. that the city was rolling out num- numerous programs, food assistance programs, financial assistance programs. So you know in the past, we may have taken several weeks to put something like that in place. We were literally doing that in hours uh, because the information was changing so quickly. So, um, you know, you you don't necessarily have a roadmap to do that. You rely on the foundation that you do have and, and your mechanisms. And then what delivers for you is people, people just, you know, rising to the occasion. And especially here, you know, the folks who are doing the work here were also, when they weren't here, we're dealing with the same thing everyone else was, right? The fear of the pandemic, the the need to take care of their families, et cetera. So it was uh, it was quite the lift uh, for a period of time. But uh, we would like to think we were really uh, at the forefront of of helping New Yorkers, whether it was you know getting them access to food, or sometimes it was just one of our agents talking to somebody who may have been alone in their apartment for two months,
0: and you know that's a, that was a big connection that was made. So what was the percentage then? Uh, people that were forced to work from home. And did that was that an easy transition to make?
1: Uh, it was it was a challenge. All of the agents and the all of the call center personnel, so our agents and our immediate staff su- supervisors, managers, all worked in the office. Um, they, yeah, they, they stayed in the call time. center. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So and then the the support staff were able to move to a work from home mode, uh, which you know was, was an adjustment for that universe as well, because city government historically had not been a work from home model. Um, so, you know, the mechanics of using the different, you know, uh, online tools to, to the meeting tools, etc. But uh, the real challenge for the folks that were in the office was just that, you know, getting up and coming in every day. Um, and we went through a cycle in New York city where, you know, we're in lower Manhattan, as you know, yeah. uh, you've visited, you've seen how bustling it is. There were many days in the early stage of the pandemic, the streets were empty and, and yeah. that was just you know a strange occurrence. So I think it was it was as much, you know, mental support for mental health support for our folks that were coming in as much as it was, you know, new programs, new, new information, et cetera. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was it was really a sterling moment for the group here that were essential workers, but they came in serving their fellow New Yorkers every day.
0: Yeah, it's a very, very impressive uh, operation, um, and it really, uh, as the press release has said, it does beat what we find in the private sector. I remember being at a hearing, a congressional hearing, about a year ago, and uh, one of the congressmen said, "Well, you know, government, you know, is, can't be compared to the private sector," you know, in a very disparaging way. And I said, "Are you kidding me? I mean, we don't get to choose our customers. You know, we we have to serve, and." If you're on Amazon or my try to find a service representative. Try mm-hmm. to find somebody to talk to. It is impossible. Um and with your call center, you're there. I mean, your people are there, they're answering calls. In fact, if I recall correctly, it was not uh, a couple of years ago, but uh, the New York City 301 says it was the recipient of the United Nations Public Service Award for improving the delivery of public services. That is a unique reward award. And you've received other awards, both personally, professionally, as well as the center itself. So you must be very proud.
1: I am very proud. I, I tell people often, I think I have the best job in New York City. And, and I mean that. And there are a lot of great jobs in New York City, but I really believe I do because of the, the people I work with. And I and I really appreciate you sharing that take with respect to, you know, the quality of service, the government delivering quality of service. Um, we do take a lot of pride in that here. And uh, over ten years ago, we started working with CFI Group uh, Incorporated, uh, out, based out of Michigan. They're they're a vendor that uh, is the expert on American Consumer Satisfaction Index and. Uh, they've been very good we've, we've partnered with them to do surveys uh, it's very helpful for us because it'll give us feedback obviously um but we also get their insight in terms of you know what we can improve on and where we work what we need to focus on and the thing i'll mention the reason i bring that up what i'll mention is they do uh, they do a number of cuts of the survey that we do it's a pretty robust survey we do 20 plus questions there's over 800 respondents so it's very robust especially in this day and age and one of the things that comes out of that is the customer's satisfaction with the 311 agent. And it it really is outstanding in, you know, we kind of look at it this way and put it into simple terms, you know, customers are giving a nine or a 10 out of 10 to a call center agent in New York City. And I tell my team all the time, imagine getting, you know, anyone in New York city to give a nine out of 10, let alone 800 customers. Um, so we're, we're very proud of that. And, and it goes back to the both the, the people that work here and the model that's built over the years where we are in tune with the customer's needs and you build your systems and you rely on technology to help you make that those interfaces better and and to help you strengthen your team, your, your people side of the equation, whether it's training, whether it's coaching and development.
0: So to me, I wanna come back to something that I alluded to earlier and we talked about, and that is the use of data. And to me, data can be used two ways and is being used two ways. One is to your point that you just made, and that is how do we continuously improve services and monitor, understand that we're doing what is required and needed, and maybe even exceeding that to the point of knowing when people most use these services, when, what kind of devices are they mostly coming in on? And that has changed over the years. But the other side of data, is how is data used to inform the other agencies? Because so often you're the front end, you are the face of the city and a great face at that. All your employees do an incredible job. But now we have all these other agencies and a lot of times people are not calling to say, I'm really happy with with, uh, this going on. This mattress has been in this yard for X amount Mm -hmm. of months or this car has never been towed or garbage hasn't been picked up in a week. Uh, You're getting some very interesting actionable data so how is that collected, and how is that shared with the operating departments that you interface with?
1: Well, you hit it on the head. 311 is that front end and is able to collect, you know, a tremendous amount of information that's helpful to the agency, uh, also helpful to to the customer base. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll mention last year we had 35 million customer contacts, and three and a half million of those were what we, we call service requests uh sometimes they'll be called complaints right that's a more common term um so 3.5 million complaints is a large number right i, I share it because number one it's it's only 10 percent of all the contacts so so we are really an information business um but 3.5 million complaints a year is still a lot to work with and and generates a lot of data as you mentioned so what you know that's come up before and, and what i observed and, and, and kind of have lived through is in the early days you know the agencies we were passing it through and one was passing information to the agencies to go action those requests as you noted um, and the agencies unlike 311 were not new right they didn't build everything from scratch they had legacy systems legacy operations so you were somewhat fitting a round peg into a square hole right um, you were doing intake a certain way, but you had to hand it off to an agency to go work in their traditional mode. So I think there was probably um, you know growth period there we align that. But ultimately the three-on-one data became very useful for city agencies um, to better work their processes, to better quantify the work that they did, uh, became very clear. And over time where we worked with the agencies, we were able to change those or modify those service requests to collect the, the the information points the agency needed that would help them, you know, dispatch the right piece of equipment, uh, send the right inspector, something along those lines. So there was a little bit of a you know back and forth that was tweaking. You know, we try to make sure we weren't putting too much burden on the customer. The agency wanted to get as much information that would help them uh, be more efficient. And and that you know that I think that evolved over several years. Um, so that was one big piece. The other piece, though, which, which changed the game, in my opinion, across the country for, for certainly municipal government and, and I believe at a, at a uh, at both the state and a federal level was open data. The idea of putting data up for the public to see um, yeah. certainly had a phenomenal effect. Um, so we collect data uh, again from a 301 perspective. We do not collect personal information. We do not collect demographics. Uh, we want people to be comfortable calling and not be thinking that you know you're you're, you're, you're tracking me or, or you're going to ha- keep my information we only collect the information that's necessary for the for your request um we're, we're we're less interested in your name and at in your name and your status as we are in your question or your problem and that's what we want to solve for so but we will collect a lot of information anything that's a complaint typically has a location And then there's a whole series of things that happen right there's actions that occur so that's the data that gets captured and uh, on a a daily basis we're uploading that to uh to an open data platform here in new york city it's nyc open data um the 311 information is one of the largest data sets out there and and certainly one of the most viewed um also one of the most downloaded and a lot of uh, thermal maps have come from that um but that has really changed the way the public looks at it. Um, and people consume that in different ways, right? There, there are a number of folks who are very deep dive onto that onto that information. And others are just kind of the the secondary beneficiary where someone has produced a, a thermal map of showing where, you know, uh, this condition exists more or this condition exists less. But that has changed dramatically. It, it's, it's made the public more aware of what city government does for it and can hold government more accountable when, it, when it's not doing enough.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I was involved in the city of Newark with a project when I was at Rutgers to develop an app that people could do a 311 type thing and report problems with the uh, city. And what was surprising is that the city wasn't prepared to deal with the data. And so some of the operating departments, like Department of Sanitation, and they were upset that this data they made them feel like they were not doing their job or was inadequate. And I remember coming in there, I said, "Wait a minute, you're missing the point." you should be using this data to justify the fact you don't have enough resources. Not that you're not doing your job, you're doing a fantastic job. And once they started rethinking that whole issue of data, it kind of justified things and it made them feel better that they had data to prove that um, that they needed more help. So I think data is going to continue to play a more and more important role. We're almost out of time, so I have to ask you this question. When the mayor, Mayor Adams, was uh, celebrating the 20th, 20 years of of service, and it's an incredible ride, he released apparently a video that talked about the most outrageous questions and comments that New Yorkers made over the 20 years. Can you share some of those? It sounds kind of intriguing.
1: Oh, sure. Um, I cannot do justice to what the mayor did. Uh, He did a terrific job. Uh, in terms of uh, sharing some of the stories that that we've heard over the years, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll probably just paraphrase a few of them, but uh, we do get interesting calls, and a lot of times they are, you know, not for things that we're geared towards, which is city government items. But um, um, we'll get people who call to want to know who won American Idol. They want to know if they can claim <laughs> a, their dog as a dependent on their income tax. Um, we've had uh, call, people call to say various cats or raccoons are, are holding them hostage in their <laughs> apartment. Um, and, uh, a couple of other ones, uh, I'm going to escape me right now, but, uh, one of the more common ones was also, uh, we've had, uh, not common, but more than one occurrence where, uh, someone is called to, to ask the question, can you tell me if my boyfriend is married? Oh, <laughs> so uh, it wow. spans the gamut. Uh, but, uh, yeah, over the course of, you know, uh, 525 million customer contacts. There there are a few that uh, that stand out as memorable for a lot of our agents, uh, and those are some of the more, uh, more humorous ones. And as I said, the mayor did a great job. If you haven't seen his video, uh, it's terrific. He did a great job with it.
0: All right. Well, Joe, this has been really a pleasure to see you again. It's been a while, and to talk to you about the success 20 years of three one, the best in the world is, is exciting. I'm a New Yorker, so I share that pride as a former citizen. I look forward to um, the 25th anniversary. I look forward to talking to you again about some of the new technologies, AI, that you and I were talking about before the recording began, and some of the new technologies that I think will empower uh, you and, and your staffs to do even greater things.
1: Alan, thank you very much for the opportunity. I I will definitely look forward to talking more about some of the things we'll be rolling out. I'm excited about what's going to be five years from now, what we're going to be talking about. We added just since the 20th anniversary. So, uh, And you're also welcome back anytime. It's always good having you here. And thank you for the opportunity. Great. Thank you.